This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, everybody. I am here with Robert Dale Smith from controlleradapter.com. How's it going? Going pretty good. How are you doing, man? Excellent. Appreciate you taking the time to have a chat with me today because I've been following your work since I first saw your first adapter pop up. And you've you've uh, come a very long way in a relatively short period of time. So I was excited to talk to you. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Just like a year and a half ago, I just started working on it, that first adapter. And uh, even for myself, I've kind of looked back and I'm like, the things I'm working on now are kind of stuff that I've, I've wanted to do for a long time. And it's kind of cool to finally get to a place where I've, I feel like I'm starting to figure things out. Yeah, that's awesome. So basically, a very short, and we'll not do this justice, which is why we're having the longer talk after this, but the short overview of what Robert does is creates controller adapters that allows you to use either modern or different controllers on older consoles at very fast speeds, so you're not plagued by latency or anything like that. Uh, and while there have been other adapters that have existed in the past, some were terrible, some you can't get anymore, and some are very good, and yours are just another good alternative to it that, is, you know, I, I always love options. So, you know, so I guess that's the, the basic overview, but what really got you started with making these things? And remind me which was the first one as well, because I've covered all of them, so I can't remember yeah. which was the first. Yeah, the very first one uh, released, uh, I think it was like August last year, was the SNES to 3DO. Oh, and, very um, handy. That just kind of out of my own interest, I was looking, uh, I got a 3DO, it was broken and I fixed it. And then I went to go look for some controllers and I saw how expensive they were. And that's kind of the root of a lot of the adapters I've done is just that they're either overpriced or hard to get. Um, and the main thing with the 3DO I was looking for was I wanted to play some of the mouse games. Um, just it's a weird guy who likes to play the weird console mouse games. So I saw it was over $120 and I started after that digging around and um, at one point I found on a, it was actually Atari age forum. Someone did like a one weekend project where they put together a SNES to 3DO adapter. That's kind of where I kind of started with this whole project. I reached out to this guy from this blog. There was like a forum post from 11 years ago. And thankfully he replied and um, he ended up posting some of the original source that he had. And um, from that, it was all in assembly. I hadn't worked with anything um, since college as far as assembly code. So it took me a couple months to kind of wrap my head around it, but um, once I started figuring all that out, it kind of just snowballed from there and just sharing the project on Twitter. And I found that there was actually like a whole community of uh, 3DO people out there. I, I thought I was the only one who was interested at the time. So it's been pretty cool to, to meet all the different people out there who are into the same kind of stuff. 
Yeah, I know the exact feeling. When I started the the Google Doc that was originally retro RGB, I figured a handful of my friends might be interested in this. And you know, lo and behold, all these years later, it's uh, there's a lot of us. There's quite a lot of us. Uh-huh. So it's great to see a lot of these products come out because – you know, like I always joke with Steve and Nick from HD Retrovision, like you'll sell 10 of these, but it's a lot more than 10. You, you, you know, you're not going to sell a million. You're not going to buy a house off a 3DO adapter, but it's worth totally. your time, I would think. Yeah. And um, kind of, I think the 3DO adapter, I didn't sell a ton of those, uh, but I still have people signing up and really I can't build them fast enough just because since it was one of my first projects, I kind of designed the circuit board in a way that it was easy for me to assemble by hand. Mm. Um, but I've learned, you know, since then, it's a lot easier to get things um Built with a pick and place machine and kind of going surface mount way. Um, but I'm still kind of going through those parts that I have for the SNESTA 3DO and I'll sell a few of them occasionally. Um, but really, I think the key thing from that project was just kind of like getting me started and learning about different controllers and how to do kind of the conversion process. Hmm. And um, that's just kind of sparked my interest from there and um, just kind of gone on to make more adapters based on what people have reached out and things I've seen on Twitter people are looking for. So, uh, you know, if you wouldn't mind walking through how you do these conversions, do you use the same root hardware and everything? Do you design completely different hardware? What's the software like? Like, would you mind just walking through an overview? Yeah, um, the original one I used, um, I, it was all based on this this design that this guy had posted on the forum. So that kind of is where I was started my project. And since then, I've kind of evolved to a different uh, microcontrollers to use. But I was using the Atmel, it's called the AT Tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually started with the 2331, um, but I got to the point where the two kilobytes of uh, flash memory wasn't enough for my firmware because uh, the bootloader alone is two kilobytes. So I ended up upgrading to a four kilobyte version of that. And basically what I did is once I got that schematic put together on a um, just just wired it up by hand without a PCB, um, I just took it up to an oscilloscope. And out from there, I was kind of able to to see actually see what's happening with the ones and zeros. So with Super Nintendo, it's pretty easy because it's just sending um, two bytes. So there's just 16 bits that you got to analyze. Hmm. So once you hook it up to the oscilloscope, you can and sync it to the clock line. You can actually see the button presses when you press them. So once I, I got an oscilloscope for this project, I just happened to see in that guy's photo on that forum that he had one. So I was like, ah, maybe it'll be useful. Um, I don't think I would have been able to figure any of this out without that because uh, just having a visual reference kind of really helped me wrap my head around what, what's going on there. And which scope so, do you use? What's that? Which scope do you use? Um, it's called, let's see, it's called a Handtech. It's just a cheap one I got on Amazon. Hmm. I think it was like, well, it's cheap. It was like 300 bucks. But if I was going to get another one, I'd make sure to get a four-channel one. Yeah. Uh, but two channels was enough to sync to a clock and just to look at a data line. Yeah, um, I love so- the um, Steve from HD Retrovision basically bullied me into getting a Rigel DS1054Z. I think those are like 350, but it does everything that I could ever want to do. I'm sure there's you know better ones out there for people that go deeper than I do, but that was that was definitely a, a great suggestion because I didn't know what the heck I was doing. And it's hard to get used scopes too because are they calibrated right? If how old are they? If they're past a certain point, you need to have a pro calibrated or somebody with another scope. So I just. I like recommending those for people that do deep dives. And then, of course, I get that little $30 thing for people that just want to check stuff. But, uh, yeah, that, that's cool. It's interesting to see. So when you're probing these lines, you're actually able to see – are you able to see when the button press is uh, detected by the console as well, if you're probing um, the clock lines too? Or? Well, uh, the way that the, the microcontroller um, that I set up for the SNES to 3DO is it basically simulates what the Super Nintendo would send to the controller – 
So it's sending these clock pulses. And on each Mm -hmm. clock pulse, it's reading another bit that comes in. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And then there's a latch pulse on another line that comes in. It says, hey, we're starting a new cycle to read the controller again. So each cycle has a latch and then 16 clock pulses. Um, and then it'll do a 16 additional if it detects that it's a mouse. Um, but in, within those 16 bits, they'll, um, you'll see that all of them are high. And as soon as you press a button, you'll see one bit go low. Hmm. So from that, just kind of tinkering, I was able to figure out the order of the bits were coming in and reading. So once I got that mapped, it was just kind of a matter of figuring out how the 3DO wanted to send the data, which is very similar. It was kind of interesting, like figuring out how it works, is it seems like possibly the 3DO people, I'm sure they analyzed how other controllers work when they were designing their protocol. Because uh, it's very similar, except for instead of just 16 bits, it's... Um, a daisy chain of 16 bits, one after another. So that's oh. how the, the daisy chain controller system kind of works is that one controller just passes the data of the previous one. So it was pretty cool with one adapter. I was able to, to simulate up to eight different controllers. That's really cool. So when the 3DO does that for controllers plugged into each other, is there latency that's uh, that's added? So if you're a player two and you have to run through player one, you know, it, it, does that actually add lag? Or, you know, is it like, a couple of microseconds, so it doesn't even matter anyway. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it, if it does add any that it's that it's any impact. At least with my adapter, I'm reading the the extension port for the extra controller coming the daisy chain mm-hmm. uh, at the same time that I'm sending the data. So by the time that it's getting to the next one, I've already got it queued up. So it should be. I'm reading the Super Nintendo controller and the 3DO controllers faster than the 3DO even requests the data. Oh so wow! It should be pretty close to zero latency. Um, other than whatever's with the controller itself, if it's like a Bluetooth adapter or something, there might be a tiny bit. And that's inherent to the speed of the Atmel chip, right? Um, the Atmel chip, uh, it's actually, you can clock it. Um, I have mine running at 20 megahertz, and I found that that was fast enough that I could read the controllers and then um, respond to the 3DO um, faster than, um, basically I can do the conversion faster than it requested, so in between the cycles. That's incredible. Well, you know, when I first started the website, it, by the way, this might be a very stupid thing to say. Maybe I was just talking to the wrong people, but a lot of the adapters that existed then all had to buffer something. And you very often got multiple frames of latency mm-hmm. when you ended up doing that. Is this something new that people discovered or, uh, you know, I hate to be negative or were just all the other adapters on the market shit back then because nobody paid attention? Like, like why are there suddenly so much faster controller adapters than ever before? Well, this one is actually based on like a really old chip. And because the guy did this weekend project 11 years ago, um, and I think it was an old chip then. Um, hmm. So I think the really the core of, of that adapter for, for it being pretty much zero latency is that, um, is that I wrote everything in assembly code. So um, there's, there's not very much overhead. Um, there were some points where I had to optimize the code because it was, it was taking longer to convert than, than I needed to be able to send. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did actually run into some issues. Um, I tested my adapter on all the different 3DOs, but there was the, the 3DO M2, kind of the unreleased console. There was a kiosk 
And I, I got my hands on one of those and tried it. And it actually runs at a, a faster baud rate. And I ran into issues where it wasn't properly reading my adapter. So I had to like made a custom firmware that would delay the send just enough to where it would sync up right. But uh, I ended up just never releasing that because I don't think anyone is really playing with that console and my adapter much. But if anyone's where out did there, you even I'll, find I'll that it. console? Um, it was really weird. I just happened to, right around the time I was working on the 3D adapter, my mom decided to move um, across the state. So I went to go clear all my computer junk out of her attic. And one of the computers I had up there was one of these units that I worked at a computer shop um, back in around 2008. Um, it was actually, um, it was like 2004. We went to all the GM dealerships in Houston and we upgraded all their kiosks. And this computers, we had like 13 or 14 of these machines uh, I wish I had all of them, but I only hung on to one for, for myself. That's pretty neat. Wow. Yeah, because they easily go for over $1,000 on eBay. So if I had a whole bunch of those. <laughs> that's funny. That's crazy. But um, that's kind of how I got connected with the, the 3DO community um, on Discord and, and just on Twitter in general was just I posted that I'd found that and I kind of started talking to different people and found out that there was a lot more 3DO fans out there. So really it was kind of a push in the beginning to kind of take my adapter beyond just something I was making for myself. Yeah, that, that is really cool. Um, so you've measured the actual latency of the adapters and every one of yours clocks in at basically the same speed as the original controller, right? Yeah. I haven't done any real scientific tests. Like I, I'd like to figure out some way that I can actually measure from the moment the buttons pressed to, to when it's received by the console. Um, I've, I've tried to think about ways to, to do that more scientifically, um, but I guess I've mostly looked at it from a code perspective. My basically my translating the code fast enough um, to send based on how quickly it's it's requesting the data. So there's one idea I had, and I talked to a few friends about it, but then all of us just got sidetracked, and <laughs> you know you know how that goes; it gets pushed to the side. But setting up an oscilloscope so that you put one of the probes on one of the buttons. And then having custom software made that just goes, or I guess you could use 240p test suite or something, but just goes from all white to all black screen. And that's it. Hmm. And then put another probe on the video line, I guess any one of the color lines, and set up the scope to measure the time it takes from when the button is pushed to when the screen changes from black to white. And that way you could just do one, write down the time, two, right? You know, and it would be a manual thing, but it would also be very quick, much quicker than that LED thousand frame per second camera test that I do and much more accurate because obviously yeah. it would be down to the microsecond. But I, I don't know how to set the scope up to do something like that. So maybe we could all put our nerd brains together and see, but I feel like that would be a really great uh, system and controller test. So... You know, it wouldn't work for inside games because I don't think you'd be able to like measure when a punch in Street Fighter happened with something like that. But all white to all black screen certainly would. And that should be a decent way to do total system latency. And uh, I guess if you used a snack adapter into Mr. and used that controller test, that would work as well. But it would have to be the end format would have to be one that Mr. already accepts. Yeah, it's it's pretty challenging. And the, the, the thought about it before, and it seems like a lot of the ideas I've come up with, it'd be like specific to the console. So you'd have mm. to something like base specific to both ends. So if I need something that could send, or I guess with the 3DO controller, you could just have something wired directly in that, that triggers the button to send. Um, but it may be possible with just a microcontroller that's kind of positioned in between the two sides. It can trigger one side and detect when the response happens on the other. 
Yeah, I talked with Jan from Consoles for You about that because he has the controller tester kit, which is just meant for shops to, you know, be able to test use controllers super quick. But I was wondering if the code for that could be, you know, manipulated in a way where you could press a button and maybe have a probe attached to it and you could get the data for when the button's pressed to when that controller uh, tester thingy reads the, the pulse for it. Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. I got that kit from him and I think there's a lot of potential there that you could since he's already got all the different consoles mapped out, um, just a matter of trying to figure out how that how to do that measurement. Yeah, I think this is great. The, un- the unfortunate side is that the main reason we would need this is to test bigger companies' controller adapters. And mm-hmm. it's been really, really frustrating to speak with some of these companies where I'm like, well, you know, they'll send me something and say, all right, well, what do you think the latency is? I'll say, all right, well, I'll test it this week, but what are your latency numbers? Well, we don't test latency. Okay, but this is what you do for a living, right? So you have to have some kind of idea of how to test. Well, maybe you could teach us. Well, maybe you could fucking pay me. This is your main business, seriously. Exactly. So yeah, I've I've cut off some content. I probably burned some bridges because of that. But it's just <laughs> it's ridiculous that we, the community, have to test this stuff. And it's so much cooler to see developers like yourself come out and be like, "No, here's how we're doing it. Here's the expected latency. Here's the measurements I took so far. If it is." any added you know could only be within this range anyway so you know you're not going to ruin your game with it it's refreshing to see that it's just frustrating that it's not just how it goes you know yeah totally and i think a lot of these people are just like it felt good for me you know and i think it's different for everybody um because that's one thing i like to do with my adapters is do like some try to measure it myself but also let other people feel it and see how they how they what kind of feedback i get from them yeah, and you know, you got to that's going to be a controlled environment too because it's it's always very easy to just test something for a few moments and go, "Ah, it's fine." But like you get to later even the original Super Mario Brothers, you get to some of those jumps in level 8 where you have to time it where you just hit that button exactly in the right spot. That's a really good spot to test any kind of variable or added latency because you can't plan those jumps out. It's just impossible. The button yeah. presses won't go as fast uh, and it so it's got to be a pretty uh, controlled for people to say they feel latency or not. I, uh, you know, I put beast through the ringer when he, I had him come over and test that Neo Geo emulation box thing. And he used specific moves that you can't do on uh, very laggy stuff or inaccurate emulation. You know, he had a, a plan going into that, which I, I appreciated so much. So it's this, you know, you hold up the box and go, oh, it doesn't feel like there's any latency in here. It's enraging. You need some kind of plan for testing it and some kind of data to back it up. So awesome that we're we're all kind of putting our heads together for this. Yeah, I'm definitely going to spend some more time on that. You got me thinking a little bit more about it. And I think if we had something like kind of sort of like the time sleuth that we could very accurately measure many different types of controllers, it'd be super useful and put some of these myths to bed. Yeah, uh, you know, I completely agree. The Mr. One is as good as you can get at the moment for that. Um, I I think you just need to... Did you ever look into that, the controller tester? Um, I did a live stream with Lewis. Lewis did a video on it. Pork showed some data on that before. No, I haven't seen that. That's that's definitely going to be worth your time taking a look at. Do you have a Mr.? No, I don't. I'm kind of ashamed to say I don't have one yet. (laughs) Uh, We got to figure out. We'll see if we get you a DE10. It's it's definitely on the list, though. This was really cool because when I ran those tests with Lewis, you know, I, I was seeing very high latency numbers and I just was thinking, oh, this, this, something doesn't seem right. And if I was using the LED test, that would have been one full day's worth of testing. Whereas we got 
And I probably would have gotten maybe a hundred results in total. And we ran thousands in about a minute and a half. And you know, it took 10 minutes to set it up 15 minutes, but then you just press the button and it just keeps hitting over and over and over. So that was incredible. That was great. That's why the Mr. Addons.com latency sheet is so important to reference because everybody makes mistakes. Maybe there's a mistake on there. Maybe there's a firmware difference where Bork tested something at one firmware and there's an update. But generally speaking, you're not going to get any more accurate than that, at least as of as of now. So. Yeah. Um, well, back to you. My my latency rants aside here, what was the uh, what was the second adapter? And kind of talk about some of the other stuff that you've been putting out because you've been just churning these things out on a regular basis now. Yeah, um, I guess the the second one really was the um, USB to PC engine, and yeah. that one just kind of came out of a random Twitter conversation one day. I I think more than once I'd seen people complain about not being able to use the eight bit dough PC engine two point four G controllers on the actual PC engine. Mm-hmm. And I guess that they just didn't think it was a big enough market, so they never made a dongle for it. And I just kind of like joked, I was like, "Don't tempt me." And then I just saw that there was a lot of attention on there, and a couple of people reached out. So um, I decided one weekend to put it together, um, just like a little prototype. It was uh, pretty laggy, but I had something working at least. And then mm-hmm. I think that's when y'all first picked it up on retro RGB, and um, I saw a lot of interest in that. So um, I just could, decided to go all in on that and. Um, shipped quite a few of those um, back in October and still still people are still ordering those. Yeah, you know, that's such a dance that we do on retro RGB with that because that was the, the perfect example of when it goes right. So, hey, here's a developer. They've already made a controller adapter for the 3DO. Now they're going to thinking about making it for this. What do people think? And it was, oh, it was just nothing but encouragement and thumbs up and, and get it done. But it's always on the other side, like, what if we had done that and you'd hit a roadblock for something that's completely out of your control? And now, hypothetically, that adapter could have never existed. Now I just sent a whole bunch of people banging down your door wondering where the, you know, where the heck their adapter was. So it, it's such a dance of like, are we doing more damage than good? Or are, we, are we doing good? Do we wait till there's a prototype? Do we? So I just we all kind of go by our guts. There is no formula and we got lucky because you nailed it. That was awesome. So <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a balance um, of trying to like put stuff out there that I think that I want to work on and see if there's interest. And then like the CDI, for example, I, I didn't have very much interest on that. It's still something I'm going to finish up soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like the new one, I don't know why I've got way more interest um, for the new adapter than the CDI. So that's kind of the last month taking a lot of my attention. Because there are some options for the CDI already. That's why. Yeah. So there's zero for the new one. And each of the CDI adapters are good, but they each have some shortcomings. Um, mouse emulation is definitely a big one because I think that would be a, a pretty big deal, to be honest with you. But they're already out there. So it's one of those like, okay, you know, you'll get some sales, but you know, you're also going to be bumping up against other people trying to do the same thing. Whereas the new one, that's, you know, that's, you're solving everybody with a nuance problem. All seven people who own <laughs> like, Well, I think so. I've sold seven since since I started talking about it. So several people have reached out and said that they ordered one just because they know there's a controller option. So yeah, I'm, I got to pick one up. Uh, a good friend of mine asks me to procure a lot of this stuff for them, and I end up um, it, it works for both of us because. You know, I'll buy everything. They'll reimburse me the money. I get to test it. I get to do an article on it. I get to have some fun with it. And then I neatly package it up and ship it on over to them. So, 
you know, everybody kind of wins. They get something completely set up and ready for them. I get to do all this stuff for free without paying out of pocket. So I think that's going to be the next thing. I, 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 I'm, I'm 99% sure they already said they wanted one anyway, but they want one. The, you know, a new on Tempest 3000 and the controller adapter is absolutely going to be something that I'd love to mess with very soon. Yeah, that's all you need. And after getting the adapter working and playing the the limited library, I, I do wish there was more games. But uh, I think it, it the really the the biggest thing is being able to play Tempest three thousand since it's exclusive on there. And now, especially, I got the spinner input working. I think some cool USB controllers could be built to to work with it. Yeah, you know, I I would love an analysis of anybody who knows a good USB spinner because um, I know they. I know they have some out there and I know they have some that even mount in the same standard hole that you would mount a regular arcade button, but I don't know, you know, is there a laggy spinner? Is that even a thing? Are they all just, you know, very low latency? Uh, Are they all crap? Like, I don't know anything about spinners. Have you, have you learned anything in the process of testing what to buy? Yeah. I'm kind of in that same place right now. I was like, I posted on Twitter once I was like, what's the definitive spinner? And there kind of was really no clear answer. There's a lot of different options out there. Someone did recently share one. I forget the name of it, but it's a really nice metal case. Um, I think it's geared towards Mister, uh, but they're yeah. supposed to be having some more in stock. And I think I'm going to try to get one of those once they're they're back in stock because it was just a really solid spinner with enough buttons on it for for this game. Uh, so I think it would be a perfect example. But yeah, I, I, I believe it was 150 euro for that, and it's in a nice metal case. So it's, you're basically like it's like buying a decent fight stick. It's not going to be cheap, but yeah. I've also seen ones in like the generic plastic cases. And I mean that with love because, you know, the people who sold those weren't like, this is the best spinner on the planet. They were like, no, no, no. You get this generic case for 10 bucks. You put this in it <clears throat> and you're good to go. So, uh, you know, did you see spinners where them, the spinner themselves just had the USB connection? I have seen some arcade ones that, um, that they have two buttons, I think. I don't know if it's a button built into when you press it. Um, but it said two buttons and basically simulates a mouse um, and it mm-hmm. had a, like a small um, mini USB connection. And I guess it's so that you could wire it into your like um, PC emulation system if you had built into an arcade box. Um, yeah, because I don't even mean like a pre-built one. I mean, just literally the spinner itself with a, you know, a yeah. chip on the bottom with a USB port or something like that. Yeah, there was one that I saw that was just like that. It was just and it's one of the ones that was recommended for um, like doing the Atari arcade based machines. Oh, wow. um, so that was another thing I was wondering about the spinners. Just like my thought is I want something I can just like flick it and it, it spins like a skateboard wheel um, right. or I've tried other ones and it's very clicky. So there's some like volume control spinners and I don't know if those will work right. And no, so C- cousin Scott was very militant about this for Tempest. It needs to be an infinite spinner. Yeah. And it needs to have the whatever ball you put on the top needs. To, I don't know if you call it a ball, whatever you call the spinner thingy itself needs to have some weight to it. So exactly that. If you spin it, it just keeps spinning on its own. You don't yeah. want the clicky one for Tempest. He, he went on a whole rant about that a couple of years ago. And um, when the Jaguar Nick Persain did the Jaguar controller adapters, he was like, it better be the right kind of spinner because it's so important. And, you know, so, yeah, I got to look oh. into that then. Yeah. How many that's... buttons are even on the new on controller? Um. It's pretty the same as the Nintendo 64, um, I guess right minus here. one, because instead of the Z button, it's got a, a new on button, just like mm. select, basically. Huh. So, so on the, the controller they have that actually looks like the N64, the, the button on the back is actually, the Z is mapped to A, so there's no actual A button. But the, the button layout, they kind of modeled off of 64, so you've got the C directional buttons, A, B, and then L, R, 
and then D-pad and analog. Interesting. So there really would have to be a custom Nuon spinner controller built then to be able to handle to be able to handle that, right? Yeah, I think that you could I could probably just build like a generic USB um, type spinner that just appears as like a normal X, X input type controller, and then I'll be able to easily convert that that data over. Um, because at least the, the the data that comes in, it's very similar to the analog, except that it it spins infinitely. So it's just like a value, a number from zero to two fifty five, and then as you turn the spinner, it's just incrementing through that. And the faster you spin, the faster it's incrementing. Okay, um, so just like a clock, always goes back to zero. So you don't yeah. have to program in, you know, an infinite amount of ones and zeros there. Okay. Yeah, so that was kind of a tricky part to figure out once I figured out how to like, because there's there's actually like a demo program that they released in the SDK for the key for to testing the controllers, mm-hmm. and that's how I was able to like figure out um, that I even got the spinner to to be initialized. Was that I just tried a lot of different brute force configurations until the um, the spinner value actually moved, and then once I got that, I was able to kind of map that it was similar to analog, but the fact that it just keeps rotating once you get to zero, you get back to two fifty five, and then kind of increment back down or whatever way you're going. Hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. I think um, when you release that new on adapter, th- you should definitely either make your own spinner controller or talk to people that would, so that could be sold in tandem. Cause I think that's going to be a pretty big deal because Tempest is a fun game and it's one of those like own the console just for the game type of things. And yeah. I think that's also a gateway drug. I bet you there's a handful of other neat games on the new on that people wouldn't have even thought to give a try until now that they own one. So, Hey, let's see what else is on the platform and see. Yeah. I think there was, there's some potential if the console, you know, if there wasn't other consoles it was competing with, you know, like PS2, there probably could have been a lot of games that were ported over and would have played just fine. Um, hmm. So it's just kind of a bad timing, I think for the, the new people when it came out. And I think that's kind of what interests me is sort of like what could have been. So, you know, I hope out of all this that maybe the things I figure out could help, people make more homebrew or turn this into something else um, entirely. Like I talked before, it'd be cool to have sort of like a a VCR set top box. You could sort of simulate old school TV channels. Maybe there's something we could homebrew. We could run on new ones. I don't know since it's the set top box basically. I mean, yeah, that's a possibility. I also got to look into new on hardware because you had mentioned one had really bad video output compared to some of the other models that you'd seen, right? Um, well, I've got two different models. I got the Toshiba and the Samsung, and unfortunately, my Samsung one, the the disc drive doesn't read DVDs, so I need to do some work on it see if I can get that running again. But the Toshiba one, I'd heard people say it was pretty poor quality, and um, I've whenever I hook it up to my RetroTink, um, I only have the two X ones, but it still was very blurry um, with S video or component, which is kind of disappointing. Um, oh, that stinks. But I've mostly been running it on a PVM in my office when I'm doing all this stuff and it looks fine on the BVM. So CRTs are very forgiving. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Do you know, I know this is random, but do you know if that's an IDE DVD ROM drive in there or a SATA in those machines? It's probably IDE based, but I don't know. That's something I'm still trying to investigate. Um, The documentation. Rather than fix the optical drive, maybe Fixel's uh, IDE emulator would be your, would be your solution for that. You'd be the first one to run a new on with a, (laughs) with an emulation, (laughs) disc emulation. That would be really awesome. And I think game changer for the homebrew, the, the few homebrew people who are working on stuff because it's just a pain to burn a disc every time you want to test something. So yeah. I've seen people just give up on projects on new one just because it's just too much to keep burning CDs. That stinks. I like the weird, the weird and random consoles. I don't know why. It just, 
you know, a, a good game is a good game, period. So if a game sucks, it doesn't matter what it's on. You're just you're not going to stick yeah. with it. But for some weird reason, I just when it's on a random odd console that, you know, that a failed console, one that didn't sell that much. It's finding a good game on that or playing good homebrew is is such a unique experience. That's part of the reason why I love the Virtual Boy homebrew scene so much. I think so many of the modern games being released are better than the original retail ones. Yeah, and I like to think that these consoles are only really as dead as we let them be. So if, if we keep buying games for them, the games keep coming out, as I think that they could still live on and we could still see new content that are... I think there's something about the limitations of each console that, that make the gameplay unique. So a lot of people are like, why don't you just play this on the Switch or a new modern console? And I think there's just something about playing, even if it's a mister, it's kind of just really being around those limitations of the specific platforms. Yeah. I really think in the future that game developers will still keep trying to make games within those boundaries. Yeah. I mean, that's having set boundaries to work within has created some of the greatest innovation technology world's ever seen. So it's just, you know, that's kind of a, a big deal. And that's any musicians out there too, like especially old, old people like me, when, when I started playing, it was whatever amp you had and you had to just try to make that sound not like shit. And yeah. then these digital processors come out and you spend days and days and days dialing in your sound. And at the end of the day, is that even the sound that you want? Whereas if you're working within the limitations of just an amp that you want, very often you get to be a little bit more, you, you get more of what you're looking for because you only have one thing to continue to mess with. So maybe that's a dumb analogy, but you know, the, the four other guitar players that are listening, will totally get it. <laughs> yeah. It definitely kind of forces you to, to be creative and to find workarounds and potentially do things that people haven't done before. So that, I think that's really cool. And we see new homebrew doing stuff that, you know, we never imagined that these consoles would originally do. Yeah. So what other adapters have you released so far? You got the PC Engine one, um, Nuons in route, the SNES to 3DO, but you were toying around with a bunch of other designs as well, right? Yeah, um, I've had the this, uh, well, originally it was a SNES to CDI project, and um, someone reached out to me on Twitter, and they kind of picked up the open source project, and we're, we're going to try to expand it, and it got my interest. I started helping him add the Super Nintendo uh, mouse support to it, and Hmm. Um, the project ended up moving on to something else and not really going anywhere. So I kind of got dropped on me to, to finish it. And I told some people that I was going to do it, but I just haven't had a very big demand or the time to do it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's definitely something that it's like the adapter is pretty much done. I just got to make a shell for it. And, um, but I, there's some things I want to change. So I really want to spend some time on it instead of just releasing, you know, as it is. Um, so one thing I, after doing the USB to PC engine project I thought about was maybe just spinning this off into um, other platforms. So taking all that USB effort and potentially porting it over to the CDI. So that's something that I've been doing on kind of the side um, while I'm working on the new one as well. It's just um, having like full mouse and keyboard and very, all kinds of different controllers would be awesome on there. Because there's a lot of, I think a lot of mouse support on CDI as far as the way that the D-pad inputs, it's basically the same values. So I think a, the, a mouse could be used on pretty much any game on there. Yeah, I mean, I would kind of just start to look around and see which consoles have the least amount of options to them. Or, or I guess which you could, even if there's a console like the Dreamcast, which has a ton of controller options, maybe just having a, a USB Dreamcast with no latency added adapter, maybe everybody that plays Third Strike in the Dreamcast would say, hey, you know what? I hate the Dreamcast controller. Let me get <laughs> for fighting games at least. You know, let me yeah. use my awesome USB-based fight stick that I have. And I know there's already stuff like that out there, but it certainly would be worth your time to 
kind of just take a look and see where there's a hole in the market and see how easy it would be to port everything over. Yeah, I'm definitely looking at different consoles and I've kind of thought about maybe just going full open source with all my USB stuff, something sort of similar to Blue Retro um, to where it's just like USB for all the consoles. Um, or maybe I could dive into that repository and have some other branch where you could do USB and Bluetooth. But I mean, do whatever you feel is best. But if I were you and I, I were in your position, I would pick the next product or two that would use that, sell it, and then open source it. Because what would happen is the person who runs Bitfunks is just going to take that and do a run of 10,000 and undercut you and probably not even do a QA. So a third of the ones released are going to have bugs. And it's just, you know, if you plan on continuing to sell these, you kind of have to be a little bit protective of it, which is sucks and it's not fair, but you know, it's kind of life. Yeah. This is one thing I've been thinking a lot about lately is, is kind of how to balance that. Cause I, I do like ultimately want to open source all this stuff. So, you know, after I'm gone, there's some way that other mm -hmm. people can continue to reproduce these adapters or create new adapters from what I figured out. Um, but it's definitely a balance of trying to get out at least a, a batch or so, and then kind of release that. Yeah. Get one batch, sell it, use that money to buy another batch. So you have it in stock. So the Google searches are out there. You know, when people search for it, they're going to come up to your website and then release it. So if somebody else wants to clone it, you know, at least you still have enough time to get rid of your inventory and at least, you know, everything will still come to you. And even if they end up on AliExpress for five bucks, somebody comes to you to get your SNES to 3DO and says, oh, you know, there's a new one here too. And oh, look, a PC engine. Let me just buy them all here and save on shipping and not have to wait three months for it to arrive and hope it works. So Yeah. That's what I've kind of been wondering. I was like, is there, am I really in that much danger even if I get cloned? I, I know that I've seen this debate with everybody and everyone's trying to fight it in different ways, but maybe if you know, people buy my adapter because they, they want to support me to create more adapters, but there's always going to be the people who don't know about me. And, and the thing I, I worry about is end up having to support crap products that someone else reproduces. Yes, exactly. So it's like, how do I balance that? How do I like make it open and free for everyone to, to do what they want with it, but to not kind of shoot myself in the foot? Yeah, it sucks that that's a giant part of what we have to deal with. But, you know, it, it's just ingrained in, in the tech world, and it's always been part of it. And one would even argue that there's been times where things got cloned that overall was a help to the, the field that it was in, including the company that got cloned. But generally speaking, when it comes to these smaller projects that are fairly priced, it just kind of hurts everybody. So it sucks to see. Yeah. Yeah. And I see a lot of these projects where the, I think part of they get cloned because there's such a huge demand and they, they can't meet the demand. Mm. So that's another challenge is like, how do I keep producing adapters, but build them fast enough? You know, cause it's just me putting all these together and um, it can take a lot of time. You know, that's why uh, mixing your assembly is always something to at least think about. So you have all of the boards manufactured in bulk. You have them delivered to you with no software loaded. And that's that's a risk because that means, you know, if the built boards are built wrong, it's going to be a battle to get them repaired. But then you flash the firmware, you run through the tests, uh, and then you sell them. So doing it that way, you're still having to touch every one of them. But you have far better quality assurance than you would rely on anybody else. And it saves you a ton of time not doing the full assembly. So yeah, kind of a good way because, you know, they could clone that board, but without your firmware or without the final thing, it's going to be kind of hard for that to happen. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. And that's one thing I've learned doing this is it's one thing just to make the adapter, but it's like a whole another thing to figure out how to mass produce these things. It's kind of yeah. become my whole other hobby is to figure out how to mass produce these items and, 
when I'm designing new adapters, that's it, everything I've learned from the past ones. I'm trying to keep in mind, like that's one thing I'm worried about. The new on adapter is that the cables are impossible to source. So I got to custom make each one of those out of firewire cables and it's going to take me a long time. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think there's going to be a huge demand for those, not nowhere near the PC engine. So I think it's totally doable. And then um, maybe if, if I do get a surge of demand, I could try to source someone to make custom cables. Cause I put together some schematics and drawings for the cables. It's just a matter of finding someone and seeing if it's, worth you know getting a few hundred of those made cool i mean that brings up a good question is how do you make the cables for all the other ones i guess the pc engine's kind of easy because that's a standard cable type that you could just buy in bulk cut in the middle solder them directly in add some cable or strain relief and there you go there's your cable is that is that what you end up doing with those yeah the pc engine and then the cdi they both use the same connector just wired differently and it's just the the mini din um, eight pin. And mm -hmm. so that one, I could just, I just straight up got the connector and just have a cable that goes between the adapter and the console. Um, so it's just a matter of, I, I got some of those cables custom made, but they're easily custom made since they're so common. And then the SNES to 3DO, I was able to use uh, Genesis um, Atari replacement cables. Um, so I was able to find someone on AliExpress and ordered a ton of those. And um, the first batch that came in were fine, but the second batch, like all the pins are too tight. So I have to go through and kind of like stick a screwdriver into like just loosen them a little. But um, that was that's the hard part when I'm doing these adapters is like you figure out the code, but then like how do I get the connectors? Like do I 3D print them? Is there something I can source? So that's that's yeah. half the battle as well. Yeah, I mean that's another thing I always try to pay incredibly close attention to when I'm talking about upcoming projects. Is it you know is it something that is even feasible to make past one or two? Or is it something that could be produced? And I think, you know, it's good that people are, the, most people keep that in mind when they're discussing these things. And you know, it's it's kind of funny because you see people like Shank make what should be a one-off, a completely unique thing. And next thing you know, there's schematics online on how to do it and things are being shared. And now, you know, they, they have their company where they're selling parts to consoleize your own. So I love that. And on the other side, you know, sometimes you have a one-off mod that gets picked up on a, major tech blog and now there's a million people asking for it and it's like this is impossible you have to spend a month making your own and then you, no one's gonna make them to sell because you'd have to sell them for a grand a piece so it's or, or more so yeah it's it's kind of a, a interesting balance in the do-it-yourself world of what's actually feasible to have made yeah yeah and i think there's a lot of people that there at least where i thought about open sourcing things there's a lot of people who just don't want to go through all the process of diying they're like i'd just rather buy it even if it's available I mean, that's 100% me. I, I so appreciate everything that's open sourced and I'm so happy that things are out there. But at the end of the day, I don't have the time to hand make anything anymore. So, you know, to spend a fair amount of money to buy it, just to have it arrive to my door and plug in is a giant big deal for me. I know there's a lot of other people like that. You know, you're balancing work, families, the whole nine, and you want to just play your game or do your thing. And you don't want to have to spend that time making it happen. You want to just play the game. So exactly. I get it. That's why I'm so appreciative when people actually make this stuff. So, um, so what what is on the horizon then? You talked a little bit about the USB porting the USB stuff over to other consoles. Do you have any other projects in mind that you'd care to share? Obviously, in the context of they're just ideas, no pressure. Yeah. We're not expecting anything that you say. Just you know, something to chat about. Um, right now, I guess like immediately on the horizon is the the new one. Of course, that's what I've, I've been working on pretty much every day, trying to get that wrapped up. I'm just working out some final kinks and. I'd like to do some more work on maybe making the cable fit a little bit better. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've customized the firewire cable to where it'll fit and it's got a really secure connection, but I think there's some improvements since it's not close to the original, but, and then I mentioned the CDI stuff. That's definitely next on my list. Um, I'm not sure if potentially continuing the SNES to CDI or just going totally USB. Uh, but I've also thought about potentially doing some kind of hybrid or maybe it's got a USB port and super Nintendo input. So that way that's you kind of got options there. Um, could be just the one adapter needed. Um, but one thing I really want to make sure is it has like integrated uh, multi-tap support. So some CDIs can support um, two controllers through one wire. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I haven't released what I have because I want to go back and make sure all of that works. Cause I found that, from um, testing with other people is that some consoles won't work with that single cable. You actually have to plug both. It has two different controller ports for player one and two. Um, So I've got some ideas on how to work around that where there could be a single or double cable coming out of the adapter. Um, But to to have one adapter that does two, two players or more is kind of one thing I've tried to keep with all my different adapters is to try to be able to implement everything. I can't think of a two player CDI game off the top of my head. (laughs) Micro Machines, I guess, is the only one. <laughs> okay, okay, yeah, because all the ones I've played, I mean, yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's funny. It's a what a weird and interesting console. I'm sorry, multimedia entertainment system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, some of these things, I'm like, people ask me, like, is anyone actually going to use it? I'm like, it's it's in the spec. It needs to be implemented. <laughs> so I get I kind of get obsessed with like all the details of what the controller can do, and then try to bake that into my adapter. Um, that's such an awesome mentality because I, I would imagine if, you know, I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I would put money down that you have, um, there have been bugs that you didn't run into that you might not have known were even there until you released it, but they didn't happen because you were trying to adhere exactly to the spec. So yeah. it's just one of those things where it's like, okay, I'm going to tweak this as much as I can and add this. And, you know, that's, that's something that you always see on the even mainstream giant company is making is they're always like that one bug of a game won't boot or something like that because they didn't go exactly 100 percent to spec yeah there was actually someone reported um uh, there's this bluetooth um snes adapter uh, i think it was by brooke and uh, it wouldn't work with my snes to 3do because this they followed the spec just slightly different to where it works on any other console but since i followed so precisely it was just like it wasn't reading the controller right and i found there's a way you could put a little resistor in there to force it to pull the line low the way it should be when there's um, no button data coming through. But um, that's just one example of, you know, little things could be off even when you follow the spec exactly. That's neat. That's very cool. So when you're programming all of this stuff, I mean, is your, do you have a programming background or something? Is that, you mentioned doing it in college, but is that how you're able to, to program this software and have the knowledge or to just kind of teach yourself on a whim? Yeah, it's a, kind of a mix of both. I mean, uh, I started my career as a computer technician. I did that till about 2009 and then kind of just burned out working at a bunch of different IT companies and decided to go back to school because I just didn't want to fix computers anymore. I was like, I want to actually make something different. And while I was there, I kind of got uh, into the startup program and that totally derailed me from school, but it took me on a path to where I got more into software development and trying to create apps and I went on to be a web developer until now. That's what I do by day is um, full stack web development. So I think just that those both IT and um, web development does, it's a lot of problem solving. So it kind of translates really well to, to really anything um, as far as these adapters. It's, it's really, it's like I'm just trying to figure out how do these pieces connect together and then get it all aligned. So yeah. it's it's been a really cool because I spent most of my time working like JavaScript and 
on the web side of things. Um, so it's been nice to go and work in assembly and like get down to the machine level um, with C and things like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's so funny how tech skills that you get over the years could apply to so many different aspects of tech, even completely different fields or totally different hardware versus software. It's the mentality that you train yourself to, to focus on is very similar in so many of these different parts. So it's kind of always kind of fun to see that. Totally. Yeah. And sometimes I'm just, it might be a part of me just being stubborn. I'm just banging my head against something until I figure it out. And there's even the Nuon adapter a few weeks into when I first started that I just felt like it wasn't going to be possible. And then I just kept inching along and eventually I, I, you know, reached a point where I got something to happen. And, and now a few months later, I've got, you know, a full adapter working. Awesome. So it's like, my, my motto is like, usually you're about to give up. That's they are probably just about to figure it out. Just, just keep going a little bit more, but maybe it's just, um, I just ask it for punishment sometimes. Yeah. It's always a hard one to juggle. Cause there's so many times where it's like, you know, Jose and I have this conversation all the time. When is time to just walk away for the night, take a break, come back a day, a week, whatever later. And it's just so many times I'll just keep punching through and find the solution and be like, Oh, great. You know, I'm glad I didn't have to put this all away and set this all up again. Other times, another two, three hours goes by, I pack it all up and a month later, I stumble across the fix, you know, in a minute, I should have just not wasted the rest of my night on it. So it's always, it's, it's always like the tech gamble when you do stuff like this. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely, you gotta, sometimes you just gotta walk away. I've had times where I'm just in the shower thinking about it. I'm like, oh, that, that's that's the idea. You know, that's how I'm gonna fix it and come back to it later. That's funny. Uh, so everything that you make uh, is gonna be, or is already available on controlleradapter.com. Yep. And then you're on uh, Twitter and are you on other social media platforms as well? Um, mostly I put everything on Twitter. I'm, I'm on everything else. Um, I've started doing TikTok recently. Um, just because everyone else is, but Same. I don't know. It's just random. I, I figured I would just share random clips of stuff I'm working on. So like 3d printing and gaming, stuff like that. Yeah. Somebody told me that just hashtag everything, like don't even put a description in, you know, like put the description as text in the video and just hashtag it all. Mm. And that way when people go and search it out, it'll pop up. So that way, you know, it's not so much about, um, milking an algorithm for the right length video or something. And it's not about followers. It's just about if that topic happens to be trending and you get the right hashtags, mm -hmm. then yours will start popping up as well. So interesting. Yeah. It's, I feel like it's worth my time. I do realize it's spyware. So I use web interface. So I don't even have the app on my phone just because <laughs> it's, you know, it's the, it's the other constant tech gamble is how far do you go before you're the one wearing the tinfoil hat? You know, yeah. <laughs> the the analogy that I always make with people is, especially people that don't even do tech for a living. It's like you know damn well if somebody wanted to break into your house, they're going to do it. They're going to grab a you know up something heavy and smash your front door in, or you know, drive a car through something. There's no way to stop somebody who really wants to get in, but you still lock your door at night, right? Yeah. Even though you know, so that's kind of how my approach to to tech safety is. Uh, if something bad's going to happen, it's going to happen. But don't just leave your door unlocked or wide open so people could wander in. And TikTok really walks that line. If you've seen any of the tech analysis oh, yeah. of how the software works, it's like, I think that's more like leaving your door open than leaving it unlocked. So I just don't have that on my phone just in case. Yeah. And I think just a lot of people aren't aware, you know, of what a, a lot of the information that's being collected by, you know, not just TikTok, but any of these companies or websites you go to. And Yeah. 
it's funny right before the edward snowden thing i remember being in a meeting with my boss who was awesome really smart guy you know i made and sold a bunch of big businesses over the years and there was this super smart tech from one of our partner companies in and he made some kind of nasty comment because i talked about using gmail and i was like you know like unless you actually send encrypted email any one of your emails can be read and he he just looked at me and he walked out of there and I'm sure he walked out like, you know, Bob from that company over there is wearing his tinfoil hat. What a crazy asshole. That's not real. And this is a smart person, too. And then it was that week that the info came out that, yeah, like nothing safe. Everybody's been reading everything. And it's like it's always as nerds. It's always that balance of like, what do you say to your non nerd friends without seeming like a paranoid nutcase? Because that's, yeah. what, you know, so it's always always a funny battle and then you're around your fellow nerds and you're just like you just nod when you have the conversation because they already know and you don't have to worry <laughs> i just assume you know anything you put on the internet whether it's private or not it may not be private so just yeah. don't share things you don't want to be shared you know so <laughs> that's one way to to avoid things yeah but, absolutely you know we're all living our lives so you never know what people you know that hackers and all kinds of things going on yeah yeah it's a, you know it's a definitely a healthy balance of stuff but I don't know. I, th I feel like I'm just trying my best and, you know, the TikTok thing, maybe I'm paranoid. Maybe I should just put it on my phone, watch people do stupid shit all day long, but uh, I'd rather just use the web interface. <laughs> yeah. And going back to my IT days, I did computer repair. I mean, even all the way back in like 2007, 2009, when I was doing it full time, we saw a lot of these uh, machines come in that were infected and, uh, with all kinds of crap. So just like what people, you know, people are not really aware, you know, what they're doing on the internet and, what kind of stuff they're getting into or what's getting on their machine. So a lot of people are just like, where's my free cursors or you know, like, yeah. where can I get stuff on the internet and they end up somewhere shady. Well, you know, one story that really got me is a buddy of mine, not a tech, but a very smart person um, loves cars. He bought a house with a set, uh, a detached garage that had lifts in it. So he could work on all of his cars there. And I mean, it's his favorite thing in the world. And he, he buys a lot of cars on eBay and then sells them too, and never, ever had a problem. You know, it was usually the opposite. People would double down on the pictures because they didn't want to deal with the returns. So they made sure you knew exactly what you were buying. And he bought uh, some kind of truck, like a Yukon or a Denali or something. And everything seemed on the up and up. Everything was fine. And then the shipment kept getting delayed. And then it got a little bit fishy. And then he went in to try to, to open up a complaint and something seemed off and he realized, wait a minute, I'm only using this one computer. So he goes onto his wife's computer, loads up his eBay account and the purchase was not there. He had clicked on some kind of spyware that installed itself so that when you went to eBay, it redirected to this hacker website oh, and they ended up getting caught by the FBI and, you know, half the money was spent. So they divvied that money up. So people who got scammed by him got a portion of their money back. But I bet you if we went in and traced it, it was some really smart thing. It wasn't like, you know, click here for, you know, free naked pictures. It was something very smart and cunning that wasn't, you know, wasn't something that you could easily see as bad. So I think that's where telling stories like this is kind of good to bring the paranoia level up just a little, just a little bit. So, but yeah, I mean, that's what people are going to walk into, right? One of these days, somebody's going to pick up their phone, buy something on some store and we're going to find out you know, somebody exploited TikTok to put spyware on your phone and that's it. Yeah. So you just lost a lot of money. So, Yeah, that was one of the most common things we saw was people who got like ransomware. Like not like it's, it wasn't even like it is today where your computer is locked down. It would just pop up and be like, hey, you have a virus, buy this antivirus. And it 
was the virus. You, know, you would give your 50 bucks to somebody and then it was just, you still had the virus on your computer. We saw that a lot. We actually had one guy come into our shop and he worked for the FBI. And like months later he came back and he's like, we got someone in Ohio. And I was like, you actually got somebody? <laughs> I just figured it's someone, you know, outside of the United States, you know? Yeah. It, that, those are, those are at least getting to be more mainstream so that people understand. My mother-in-law called me in a panic a couple of years ago because she had just switched to, I don't know, Verizon internet. I don't remember what it was, but, and two days later she gets a pop-up that says, uh, this is Verizon, your service provider. You know, you have gotten an infection. We're going to fine you if you don't. And I had gotten the exact same one, but I wasn't on whatever it was, Verizon or whatever. So I just kind of laughed like, oh, you know, that must be a thing. Let me clean my computer. So she clicked on it. She calls the number. And then they said, okay, we'll send us 150 US dollars. She goes, US dollars? Who the hell says US dollars? <laughs> and she hangs up the phone and calls me. And she's like, I'm so stupid. I'm so stupid. I was like, no, 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 no. You didn't pay them. You are smart. Anybody could have fallen for that. You are not stupid. You were smart to stop when you did. And I went over and there wasn't even any spyware. She just must have clicked on a link and called the number. So I was mm -hmm. like, no, no, you, you absolutely get a pat on the back for this one. You did not go too far. You did not do anything stupid. So she was aware enough to say that. So that was, that was pretty cool. I was proud of her for that. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's just, that's unfortunate. I mean, they must, it must be working for them because they keep doing it. They scam yeah. And I'm sure you've seen YouTube like, scammer payback and all that stuff. So those, those are those? awesome to see after the years of, I almost felt like I was fighting them because they bring their computer, people bring their computers in. They're all infected with a bunch of stuff. We'd clean it up. And it was like, they'd come out with some new virus that like worked against the tools we were using. Like I remember there was one point, some of our scanning tools would even open. We had to like figure out other ways to remove the software. Like basically get to the point where like, we're just reloading this machine. <laughs> but yeah. I was always like, I like to, I don't want to just re-wipe the machine. You know, I feel like that was the easy way. Just try to clean it up and keep everything, you know, that they had. But some machines that's, are just so far gone. That's so funny. I always took the opposite approach because I always did it on the side for small businesses and friends. Just word of mouth. I never had like Bob's Fix-It shop or anything. But I would always tell people like, I'm going to give your computer a half hour. And if I can't fix it, I'm going to put a brand new drive in. It's going to cost you 60 bucks SSDs. When those were first affordable, not only was that a new drive, it's a massive speed increase too. I'm going to reload your operating system. And I'm going to move all your files back. And I'm going to give you your old drive back in a case and it's going to take hours less. It's going to be a faster result. And anything that's, you know, if you're missing anything, give it to me to get back, but this is an infected drive and, you know, we'll reuse it as a backup drive six months from now, once you've, you know, confirmed I didn't lose any of your data. And almost every time it was the right move. There was a couple of this like, oh, this is easy. Just clean up some startup files and, you know, get rid of that, run a scan. But that's that was always my path. And it would usually be like three hours start to finish. I'd line up a couple of them. So I was always, it wasn't much downtime. But the times that I went in to try to actually fix computers like that took just forever. Yeah, you probably saved yourself a lot of heartache too, just doing it that way because it's, sometimes it's just not worth it and some of these machines that especially even even back then it was like they were getting so bad it was like we think it's clean and mm. then you know they bring it back the next day because it's all come back somehow did you ever use those slipstream tools it's been 15 years so i'm not i'm probably thinking of the wrong names but i feel like there was you know i'm not even, I'm not even gonna say the names but there were tools where you could take xp and seven 
and you take the ISO. So you take the basic genuine OEM ISO and then it slipstreams all of the Windows updates into it up until that day. And then there was a driver pack where I would just select all of them and you would put all of the drivers up. So then when you installed the operating system, 99% of the time, there was no driver installation afterwards. There was nothing, but it was a legit copy of Windows because I know they have the hacker ones that, you know, you know, disable activation, but we're totally not putting spyware in this thing. That's definitely illegal. Like, no, yeah. this was the, you take your genuine OEM. This was a bunch of other fellow nerds who were using it in their IT departments. And that that was just gold for me. Not having to, to dick around with trying to find drivers for some random laptop. Like that was amazing. And then I kind of stepped out of the scene for a while. And when I went back in, I, I feel like so much of that info is lost. Some of the forums I was on were just awful people. One of them tried to kick me out because I didn't say thank you fast enough because I had COVID Dang. and didn't log in for four days or something. It was, yeah, it's just all that info is lost. And I wish I could, I wish I, I had treated it the way I treat retro RGB stuff and done detailed guides and put up backups of the software because I really wish we had that now for modern OSs. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that, that I've just lost over the years. But yeah, we definitely did the slipstream disk. And we even had like uh, some of our like antivirus and um, anti-malware apps just pre-installed that we we installed the machines anyway. Mm. Um, so it was kind of nice to have just something where to automatically do it. You know, what's funny is I used to add a CCleaner, computer cleaner to those. And, yeah, <laughs> and then at one point I, I just kind of, when I, it was after I had stopped using that on a regular basis, but then that company got bought out and they had added spyware to it. Do you remember that? No, I guess it's been so long since I've used yeah. it. <laughs> so it wouldn't affect older versions. So if anybody, out, if anybody out there knew me 15 years ago and still uses that disc to reimage <laughs> your old ass laptop, don't worry, you're fine. But it was, you know, if you redownloaded that program after the company got bought out, it was, it was putting spyware on your computer. Yeah, I hate it when that happens. And even I had like some um, Chrome browser extensions at one point, and now they've kind of just kind of faded out of existence. But people would reach out to me and they're like, can we put this thing in your app? And it was basically some kind of spyware or something that would inject ads into other websites when you go to it. And I'm like, I, I don't want to do that. I get those emails to a day from people that want to put ads on retro RGB. Mm. And some of them have offered a good amount of money. And I, I mean, obviously, I know what it is. You know, it's some kind of spyware, some kind of redirect the dick pills with an affiliate link or something like it, it's it, obviously I'm not going to fall for any of that crap. But I'm just wondering how many people do. Yeah, I've worked for a bunch of Internet marketing companies over the years as a web developer. And I just see some of these kind of tactics of the affiliate marketing. And every time you have the little ads on the bottom of your website, it's just like the most cringiest articles. But I see even these big news websites, you scroll down the bottom and they're all the, the cringe news. All of them. <laughs> Yeah, I have Google ads on retro RGB because I have to. I wish I didn't. I wish yeah. I could I wish I could be better at advertising so I could market my Patreon better and never have to put those on. I would love to disable all ads. But before that, it was just targeted by me. So you're on the page and you're like, and then make sure to use your good quality Phillips head screwdriver. And there's a little Amazon ad for some $2 Amazon screwdriver that'll work perfect or an eBay ad on the right where as you scroll down the different things I'm talking about the eBay ad matches what you're talking about and they're stuff that I had chosen so that it would actually be helpful and then eBay's ad program is just disgusting now and uh, they don't pay anything out and it's terrible and you know so but I refuse to do the pop-ups and the cringe ads and stuff like that you know I got to make it as I can turn. I mean, put it this way: I have Google Ads turned to the, its lowest settings in every place you could change a setting. So, 
yeah, it's kind of a necessary evil. The you know the internet runs on ads, so you got to have it somewhere. Yeah. Well, this was a fun chat. Didn't expect to be nerding out about old school IT stuff, but that was a hell of a lot of fun to reminisce about. So um, obviously we're going to continue to cover your products. Keep, please keep making awesome shit so we could, uh, we could all keep enjoying them. And as soon as the new on stuff is released, I will be purchasing one and a new on and doing a live stream. And uh, I hopefully, hopefully you or someone else, someone else in the community could have new on spinners ready so I can enjoy that good old Tempest 3000. Definitely. Yeah. And um, appreciate you always shining a light on these things and not just my projects, but everybody's. So thank you. Thanks a lot. Awesome. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right, man.